Freedom Hut. Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court is official. The New York Times has a fake bombshell on Donald Trump's tax returns, a ballot harvesting scandal in Minnesota, and 24 hours away from the first presidential debate. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make make no mistake. You're a great American the Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here. Honor and a privilege. And my, oh, my, we have much to get into today, much to discuss. So Amy Coney Barrett is going to be the Supreme Court nominee to take over the RBG seat. And the libs are triggered But there's very little that it seems they have been able to offer up so far as resistance. In fact, what I've seen mostly is that they complain, they whine about ACB being called ACB because it sounds like RBG. And only, only, you know, some uh, initials like that are allowed for someone as great as RBG, right? So... That's that's what they're saying. Don't call her ACB, which it's like they've never been to high school before. Don't they know that it's ACB, Amy, Coney, Barrett? Come on, right? If if you're going to say don't call someone that because it annoys you, then people tend to say, well, now we're definitely going to call her that. And that's that's the way this is going to shake out. That's the that's the reality, I think, here. So as as for um, their attempts to undermine her. I mean, here you had CNN politics. The Supreme Court is on the verge of a historic transformation that could wind back the law in America for decades. What does that even mean? Wind back the law. Notice how a court decision that goes in favor of what the libs want is settled always and forever. But everything else is up for discussion, right? You know, the law of the land uh, when it came to marriage was the same for a couple of hundred years. Then the then the Supreme Court came along and said, no, it's different now. (laughs) Right. So whether you agree or disagree with the ruling, I'm just saying things change, libs. The composition of the court changes. Maybe don't have people legislate from the bench and you won't have to worry so much about who sits on the Supreme Court, although I don't think they're going to change that mentality anytime soon. But with with ACB, you have a brilliant, attractive, successful mother of seven, a devout Roman Catholic. She's got two adopted children from Haiti. She's a carpool mom, a patriot, a constitutionalist, and she's humble. And the left absolutely hates her, hates her, despises her. Well, we know they're desperate because they're saying things that are just objectively factually untrue perfect example this would be joe biden himself play clip one never before in our nation's history has the supreme court justice been nominated and installed while a presidential election is already underway it defies every precedent every expectation of a nation where the people the people are sovereign and the rule of law reigns but yesterday before justice ginsburg 
could be laid to rest, and after hundred thousands of Americans had already cast their ballots, the president nominated a successor to her seat. It's no mystery about what's happening here. President Trump is trying to throw out the Affordable Care Act, and he's been trying to do it for the last four years. The Republican Party has been trying to eliminate it for a decade. Uh, everything that he said about how this is unprecedented is a lie. It's just not true. I mean, he, he can say it, but it's a lie. He can pretend that that's the, the, the reality as long as he wants, but it will not change history. There have been plenty of Supreme Court seats filled in an election year. Plenty of them. So it's not unprecedented at all. And when they say things like it's unprecedented or it's illegitimate, you should pay very close attention because it is precedented. And in what way is it illegitimate? It's as legitimate as it gets. This is what it says should be done in the Constitution. But they're absolutely um, desperate. That much is for sure. They're desperate at this point because what, what do they have to go on here? You know, when you have a white male... We know what the playbook is. Have someone from their past accuse them of rape. I mean, I really that's that's what they did with Kavanaugh or attempted rape. That's what they did with Kavanaugh or gang rape, actually using drugs to drug people. That's what the third accuser of Kavanaugh said. So we know they have that as a plan. We know that's out of the playbook. Accuse somebody with no evidence, with with not even the substantiation necessary to prove that two people even ever met. Right. But with no evidence, accuse a white male of rape. And that becomes the um, that smear becomes the defense against that person being elevated in the Supreme Court. But what do they do with this person, this woman? They're saying, oh, she wasn't on the court long enough, only three years. Who wants to guess how long Elena Kagan was on the federal bench? Oh, that's right. She was a lawyer who had worked in policy for the Obama administration, elevated to the Supreme Court. That's not going to work very well, is it? No, that, that's not going to. They're, they're trying all of these attacks just to see if they can get some, some leverage, get something here. And I think that they've, they've misunderstood, to borrow from Bush, they've misunderestimated. They've, mis, they've misunderstood the degree to which the right is unified on this. Because the smearing of Kavanaugh was the ugliest political attack many Americans have ever seen. And while it's hard to believe anything could sink lower than that, everyone has been assuming the Democrats will be even more grotesque when they go after Amy Coney Barrett. I've been thinking this will just be satanic, but how? And so far, I've stumbled. I can't tell you that I even know what it is they're planning to do. I, I, I can't come up with a war. Now, I'm not a, an evil sociopath like a lot of these Democrats are, so I, I don't. I wouldn't expect that I'd be able to figure this out necessarily. But they've been trying to see if they could at least start to erode support for Amy Coney Barrett. And it's not going to work because the Kavanaugh moment was a moment of political awakening for a lot of conservatives. It was a moment of recognition of what the other side is willing to do. It injected conservative steroids into people's ideology. Right. It made those of us who had thought politics is the art of the possible and trying to find the best compromise you can under the circumstances, turn those people into I'm a wartime conservative. We have to win until the other side stops being crazy. We just have to keep winning until we get tired of it. 
and we're not tired of it yet. So they've tried these attacks against Amy Coney Barrett, uh, like the attack on her from numerous liberals. I was seeing this over the weekend. I'm not making this up. People were going after her for adopting two children from Haiti. Uh, There was a professor from Boston University, uh, Ibram Kendi, and he, he said that this was because she was a colonizer and then said a bunch of other horrible things about the creation of a family. I mean, adoption is such a beautiful thing. We all know that it's about parents loving their children, building a family together. We should all celebrate it. Anyone who tries to undermine or attack adoption to score political points is pure scum. You got to remember that. You got to remember that in these days ahead. And you see this with what they've done to, to the Amy Coney Barrett nomination. They're trying to undermine her very her family and suggest there's something uh, off or even insidious about adopting about Amy Coney Barrett adopting two children from Haiti because she's effectively she's part of the this is part of the white oppressor narrative. That's what Ibram Kendi was saying, professor at Boston University, who's considered an expert on, on race. And he said some uh, some other more terrible things too. Now there are people who are calling for him to be um, to be fired. I, I doubt he will be. He accused her of using her two adopted Haitian children as props. Here you go. Here's the actual the actual quote. Some white colonizers adopted black children. They civilized these quote savage children in the superior ways of white people while using them as props in their lifelong pictures of denial while cutting the biological parents of these children out of the picture of humanity. Uh, That was the quote from Ibram Kendi. I mean, an absolutely horrifying thing to write, to think, to believe. As a professor at Boston University, folks, you you can have your kids for the the pleasure of about spending $60,000 a year, you can have uh, this man teaching your children what to think about race relations. A disgusting thing. And he wasn't the only one. Other people were saying that there was, I actually had some blue checks come after me because I said adoption is beautiful. All of a sudden, adoption to the left is not beautiful. They're willing to attack it. Cross-racial adoption, you see, is the problem as, as they view it. And it results from trauma and can often be very complicated and result in more trauma. This is what the left was saying. There was a whole chorus of blue checks over the weekend trying this. But the American people, for the most part, those who aren't suffering from ACB derangement syndrome, they saw through it. They understood how appalling this was, how honestly just just evil it was. And so far, they have nothing. They're going to attack her Catholic faith. They're going to attack her adoption of two Haitian children that she's raised as their mother and loved them and made them a part of her family. Uh, they're going to attack the, you know, a- attack her for being a, a traditional a traditional mother who raises children as well as a highly successful federal judge and lawyer and a great legal mind. All, all of this is going to be the opposition to her, but it's also weak and pathetic and stupid, isn't it? And it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. That's why I say, why have hearings? Why even go through this? Vote next week. Vote as soon as Mitch McConnell can get the the Senate together and get it scheduled. Have the vote. Have her installed. No more games. 
It's not playtime. We got an election to focus on now, folks. Trump has made his nomination. Republicans have the votes. The Supreme Court seat should be filled. There's no question about that at this point. It should be filled and it should be filled before the election. Um, Here's what the president said about his pick. Play 18. Amy Coney Barrett will decide cases based on the text of the Constitution as written. As Amy has said, being a judge takes courage. You are not there to decide cases as you may prefer. You are there to do your duty and to follow the law wherever it may take you. That is exactly what Judge Barrett will do on the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's exactly why the liberals hate her so much. That's why they oppose her, because she won't do what they want her to do, which is bow to left wing pressure and pretend things are in the law that are not pretend things are supported by the Constitution that are just not. Liberals have created an entire jurisprudence based on whim and desire, and that's very hard to defend. That's why intellectually there's an insecurity at the base of all of this. They know that they can't really argue, for example, that Roe v. Wade, the right to privacy. I mean, this is absurd. It's absurd. A lot of you, I know, would say it's evil as well. But they're used to this super legislator, and they've always had in the back of their mind that the Supreme Court would give them what they want when they couldn't get it through the Congress, and that may change. Which is why I can't see their pathway to destroying ACB or to derailing the nomination, but until it is official, until it is done, I'm not, I'm not counting on anything. That's why I want it to move. I don't want to give the left any chance to mount some kind of assault here. I don't want to give them an opportunity to pull some last-minute shenanigans. The Kavanaugh hearings were sailing through just fine, folks, and then they sprung the fake uh, sexual assault allegations on him, and then people were coming from all over the place to make up absurd allegations against the president. I mean, against uh, Kavanaugh, rather. Well, they make them against the president, too. That's why it has to be done before the nomination and uh, before the election, rather. And I think it has to be done as soon as possible. No Senate hearings. We, we don't need to have uh, Kamala Harris, who doesn't have one one thousandth of the legal understanding, expertise, skill or acumen that Amy Coney Barrett does. But we, we don't have to have her try to grandstand for all of us it, it doesn't doesn't do us any good doesn't help anyone except for the power mad democrats so why give them what they want president trump says it's going to get done i certainly hope he's right play 22 do you anticipate to have her confirmed before the election uh, i would like to i would say we have plenty of time just in case your next question would be well you know should you wait they wouldn't wait, number one. And importantly, we have a lot of time. You know, we also could go after. We have a tremendous amount of time. And it's been done many times before this way. You know, it's a, an election year. Um, no, I think we're going to have it done easily before the election. I think it would be nice to do, get it out of the way. It's so important, a decision. I think it's important. We, we're going to try to have it done quickly and before the election. But think of all the time. So then you have from that date, you have all the way to January 20th. So, I mean, 
who would not do this? They say, well, why don't you wait for the next? Well, elections have consequences, and we won the election. We have the Senate. We have the presidency. So I think I think she'll be confirmed before uh, and, and probably long before the election, relatively long before the election. Let's hope so. But if we're going to learn from history, folks, we know do not delay. Do not give the Democrats an inch. Do not allow for any last minute acts of sabotage. Ram it through. Ram it home. Get it done. Put ACB on the Supreme Court. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I clerked for Justice Scalia more than 20 years ago, but the lessons I learned still resonate. His judicial philosophy is mine, too. A judge must apply the law as written. Judges are not policymakers, and they must be resolute in setting aside any policy views they might hold. Isn't that so straightforward and obvious and easy? At least as a concept to understand, judges apply the law as written. They don't decide what they want and then just pretend that's what the law says. And yet the left hates that. They reject that. That was Amy Coney Barrett telling you what's at the center of her jurisprudence, which is very similar to what Scalia was always saying, which is, look, I'm not here, meaning the judge, not here to give you what you want or I want. It's what does the law say? And the left rejects that. I want to remind you all to go check out the uh, Socialism Survival Guide, eight radical predictions that will come true after this upcoming election, how to prepare for them. Just go to BuckSextonBook.com. That's BuckSextonBook.com. It's my book, folks, The Socialism Survival Guide. I wrote it. Actually, I actually did write it. I didn't have someone else write it for me. A lot of people in this business do that. I wrote it. I think you should uh, definitely check it out. I get into all of the biggest issues in the country and why the class warfare we've seen this year going into 2020 and then with COVID and BLM is only going to worsen. The riots, the looting are going to grow more destructive over time and the government's embrace of socialism is going to widen as a result of all this. And if we're not careful, we are going to be a socialist nation much sooner than a lot of people would think is possible right about now. So BuckSextonBook.com, you'll see there's some uh, some verbiage, some uh, some promo on the book there. Just go to the bottom, order the book, and also you can sign up for a one dollar subscription to a newsletter for my friends at Stansbury Research. So, Buck, I highly recommend you do that. I use Stansbury Research all the time in my own investing. BuckSextonBook.com. You can buy the book and also get a subscription, uh, or just get the book. But I say I say do both at BuckSextonBook.com. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joe Biden didn't even last a day today. Uh, didn't even last an hour before, after the weekend, calling a lid on the campaign. Another one. Oh, I'm sure it's because he's doing all that debate prep. How much debate prep do we think this guy is really doing? Versus how much of what we hear going on here is actually about naps. Now, a lid, unless you are somebody who works uh, in journalism, this is what they call uh, this is what they call an, an, an end to official campaign activities for the day. So they put a lid on it. It's kind of like, all right, guys, that's it. You know, it's like they're calling the press conference over, so to speak. I mean, they're saying, all right, that's it. No more open stuff. No more coverage for all of you. We're calling a lid for the day. You know, it's like calling a rap on a on a movie set, right? That's a rap. You know, we're we're done with this thing. 
And yeah, Joe Biden calls a lot of lids his campaign and they call them at 940 in the morning or whatever it was today. Very, very early on. They're doing everything they can to try to drag this third tier C team political candidate. I mean, it really is amazing. You know, just go back and, and look at what, what Biden's chances were in 2008 when he was running. And you can see he was right there alongside uh, those great esteemed politicians, those political minds of our era, like Dennis Kucinich. I mean, he was a Dennis Kucinich level candidate in 2008. And, and now we're supposed to believe that he's the guy to lead the country. No, it's just Democrats have a very powerful apparatus. The Democrat Party is a very well, well-established machine, and they think they can mobilize enough of their, their forces behind this guy that they can carry him across the finish line and then figure out who's really going to be the president afterwards, because we all know it's not going to be this guy, right? I mean, they might go through the motions with him for 6, 12, maybe 18 months, but then he's going to be a little too tired. And for personal reasons and health reasons, he's going to step aside. That's my guess. Maybe he makes it to the midterms, but I don't think he gets, I don't think he gets beyond that. And I think that that's been the plan all along, really. He was initially saying he wasn't going to run for a second term, but then he realized that that was giving a lot of credibility to those who were saying, well, you're too old for this. If you, if you can't run for a second term because of age and infirmity, why would you run for a first? It's a big country. We get a lot of people. And that's what I want to remind everybody of with Biden. You've got to think what makes Biden better than any other Democrat politician other than the fact that he's just been in the game a really long time. In, in what way is he different? In what way is he inspirational or special? It's not. And you could have Nancy Pelosi running for president. You could have Chuck Schumer running for president. It'd be the same thing. You can get the same kind of presidency. In fact, I think Nancy and Chuck are both. I think they're well, Chuck is definitely smarter than Biden. Nancy versus Biden, uh, that's she, she's more shrewd than he is. She's more cunning. So I'll give her credit for that. Like I said, I give credit where it's due. But there's also the, the media trying to do everything they can to be sure that we don't uh, that we don't have, you know, too much truth coming out about Biden. Right? They're going after we're getting to the Trump tax returns a little bit. We're going after all that, and now we have something else that we have to look into for a second, which is that uh, the media would rather just ignore everything about Joe Biden that is unpleasant and hope that no one figures anything out than do their jobs. Right? They'll, they'll go deep into Trump, and they're going to just let, give Biden a pass. This happens in every election. I know there's nothing new. You've seen this a million times. But here's a perfect example of, of a Bidenism that no politician who wasn't a Democrat and favored by the Democrat Party in a general election would ever get away with with the press corps. This is not a hard one. As you know, in response to the ACB situation, I'm only going to call her ACB from now on. Amy Coney Barrett, ACB, replacing RBG. Sorry, Libs. They could have had Ruth Bader Ginsburg step down during the Obama term, and quite honestly, she should have. She was in bad health. But no, they became a bunch of weird RBG cultists who would sit around talking about how she did this like sick kettlebell workout, man. And it was awesome. And it was weird. They went, they got weird and made bad decisions. The public the public was in favor. The Democrats uh, were of keeping RBG around 
in the role she was in. And they rolled the dice and they lost. That's it. It's as simple as that. They can say it's illegitimate. I saw who's the, the particularly dumb senator from New York, a Gillibrand. I saw her saying calling it an illegitimate process. She won't take part in. If you're going to say something's illegitimate, you should be able to explain why. She can't explain why this is illegitimate because it's not. She doesn't have an answer as to why we should consider this illegitimate because you can't point to anything. It's, in fact, constitutional and clear as day that this should be completely acceptable. Right. So but of course, they want what they want and they don't really care about it. But but Biden, I love this. Biden gets away with something here that I hope the president hammers him on this point in the debates. And this debate, I, I do believe, is going to be the only way that you know, Hillary went into the last debate thinking she's so much smarter and more poised and more presidential. And she could just be her, hello. She could just be her usual uncharming self and everything would be fine. And I think that Trump was able to really get some good knocks in on her by just telling it like it is. Biden's going to go in there. He's going to be like your angry uncle at Thanksgiving who thinks he's the only person who's ever read a newspaper and is just going to be shouting over everybody. That's Biden's going to go full angry uncle. So get ready for that. Uh, but I hope that I hope that Trump pushes him on this issue specifically because the Democrats have been threatening openly. I mean, I mean, politicians, I mean, the people who run the party, they've been threatening to pack the courts because of the ACB situation. And that's, of course, norm busting. That's illegitimate. That's in violation of of existing rules and, and traditions and and principle. Um, but they don't care about any of that. But shouldn't Joe Biden, if his party is saying they want to do that, shouldn't he have to answer the question? Well, here's how Biden responds. Play 15. I am not and I, I, I know you're going to be upset with my answer, but what I'm not going to do is play the Trump game, which is a good game he plays. Take your eye off the issue before us. If I were to say yes or no to that, that becomes a big issue. That's the headline here. Yeah. Because it's a big issue. So answer the question, you dumbass. Is is are you going to, you know, are you going to pack the Supreme Court or not? And it's very straightforward. Are you going to support adding judges to the Supreme Court, changing the balance of that judicial body to suit your political whims? Yes or no. You know, he won't say no because that will upset his base. But if he says, yes, we all understand that there, there are complaints about norms and all this other crap are complete nonsense. Nobody else would be allowed to get away with this. Oh, I'm not going to focus on that thing. You know, uh, the, the most classic, evasive, slimy politician answer imaginable. I'm not going to play his game. You know, this is like what you say to your wife when she catches you. And you smell like booze and cigarettes. You said you're at the office late and, you know, uh, clearly you're out playing poker with the guys at the, the local whatever. And, you know, you come home and she, you know, she says, you know, I can smell the booze and cigarettes. On you. I'm not going to play that game, honey. I'm going to bed. You know, what does that even mean? <laughs> it means you're avoiding the avoiding the subject. You're avoiding 
what actually happened, which is exactly what Joe Biden's doing here. And he's going to do a lot more of that, too. He's supposed to be a traditional, safe, trusted Democrat face for a party that is now far left and full of socialists and full of identity demagogues, identity politics demagogues, and full of people that believe in critical race theory and uh, are, are authoritarians and believe that the word existen- or the words existential threat should be used in connection to climate change constantly, right? These people are nuts. That's Joe Biden's party, and that's his base. Now, those are now common, that those are widespread beliefs among Democrats, and Biden has to represent that party. And so you, you'd ask the very obvious question, well, hold on a second. Um, why is it that Joe Biden is representing that party but won't answer questions that go directly to what he would do in order to deliver to the left-wing base? And it's because this is a fraud. This is a fake. He can't tell you what his party really wants because they're trying to convince voters in Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania, and about five or six other states that the Democrat Party isn't what it really is. That's what's happening right now. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That's why I made it a priority my entire career to work closely with you. From the time I got to the Senate 180 years ago, you know, as well as my tenure as vice president. 180 years ago. I mean, I I guess, was he choking or is he just confused? You never know. You never know. I also like how his wife, uh, Jill Biden, not to be confused with Dr. Jill Biden, who must be some other person, because having a Ph.D. in education does not make you a doctor. I know some of you can yell at me for that. I don't care. Not not budging on that one. Not going to budge. But Jill Biden and uh, and fake Tapper had a sit down from like 30 feet apart outdoors because now this has become this virtue signaling interview thing. It's like people that retake their photo so that they have a mask on for their Twitter avatar because that's keeping people safe. Right. If your Facebook profile photo has a mask on, you're clearly stopping the spread of the virus. You notice how many people have done that? You really want to wear a mask in your profile photo? That That's pretty dumb, isn't it? Well, no, people like to do this now. And I know Republicans do it, too. I think they're I think it's weird. <laughs> I think it's very weird. Uh, but they had the uh, the separation outdoors of about 30 feet between now, not six feet. It was like it's like uh, she was at the 50 yard line of the football field and he was in the end zone kind of a thing. I mean, not that far, but got to show everybody how seriously they're taking the virus. We'll talk more about the virus lockdown hysterics and theatrics later on friends this i know some of you are tired you got some of you got tired of me talking about this a few months ago and i said well get ready it's not going to go away do you want them to keep annoying you you want them to keep your businesses shut down we have to fight back they're not they're not going to relent we can't ride this out they're going to keep pushing this crap so are we going to say enough is enough or are we just going to keep saying, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to go back and watch Netflix and maybe things will get better. Yeah, Biden says he was going to be in the, he was in the Senate 180 years ago. He uh, this is all, you know, the, the pre-debate tr- uh, trash talking. <clears throat> and he says that Trump is well, here you go, play 12. Look, the people know the president's a liar. I mean, they know that uh, it's not like it's a. Uh, um, it's going to come as a surprise. And so I'm prepared to 
go out and make my case as to why I think he's failed and why I think the answers I have to proceed will help the American people and the American economy and make us safer internationally. It is going to be difficult. I know, the, I mean, my guess is it's going to be just straight attack. They're going to be mostly personal. That's the only thing he knows how to do. He doesn't know how to debate the facts because he's not that smart. He doesn't know that many facts. He doesn't know much about foreign policy. He doesn't know much about domestic policy. He doesn't know much about the detail. And so he can do what he wants. I think he'll, like you said, it'll be mostly, you know, uh, personal attacks and, and lies. But uh, I think the American people are on to him. I think we're on to Joe Biden because, we know, Joe Biden's not that smart. Even Democrats, I know, in moments of honesty, will say not that smart. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't know many facts. Uh, what does Joe Biden know other than how to, how to be a shill for the credit card companies and and corporate America based out of Delaware for the last 30 years and say whatever the Democrat Party wants him to so that he can keep get, getting elected. What exactly does Joe Biden know? You know what his big idea? This goes back to when I was on the CIA's Iraq desk and I was seeing all the different stuff going to and from the White House. I was I had access to the, the PDB every single day. Um, so, you know, everything Iraq related. So I could see what was going on. And Joe Biden or President's Daily Briefing, you guys all know that. But but Joe Biden's big idea, and this was public, this obviously wasn't a PDB thing, uh, during the Iraq war when he was running for president in 2008, was that he, we should split the country into three, which some people hear and they say, yeah, that's okay. Well, when we, we're trying to stop sectarian violence, a civil war and ethnic cleansing, which is what was going on in Iraq in 2006 and in 2007 before the surge and the, uh, the turnaround, But when you're trying to stop all of that, to then say we're going to cut the country into three, you see, then it's just to the victor goes the spoils. Then it's just what do we have to do to get the biggest piece of this we can as fast as we can. Effectively would have turned the violence up and made it much worse. So that was his big idea. Carve the country into three in the middle of a civil war, carve it into three. Uh, and everyone that I knew who understood the Iraq issue pretty well at the time, where there were a tremendous amount of mistakes. Don't don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of the Iraq experts were really experts in being uh, incredibly wrong and showing bad judgment and destroying that country. Not that it was in good shape when we arrived, but you know what I mean. Uh, but Biden has been consistently wrong on every foreign policy issue for the last 40 years. Every idea that he's had has been the wrong idea as seen by history. And this is a guy who even Democrats have known and they know this in, the, in their in their gut, too, is a joke. He's not impressive. There's nothing about him that's inspiring. But the Democrats were only prepared to have Hillary for eight years. They don't have anybody else to fill that gap. And they weren't willing to take a chance on an Obama like young person, younger person this time around. So that's what we've got. We've got Joe Biden says things like he doesn't know many facts and you know i remember when fdr got on the satellite phone and was was calling you know ho chi min and saying hey man i saw you on i saw you on cable tv last night on the fox channel and you know he just say whatever crazy crap he wants and liberals all clap like trained seals oh he's great he's fantastic oh and then biden will just do the the Trump is evil. Trump is Hitler. Or no, in this case, to be fair, Trump is Goebbels. Play 14. 
You've said it very clearly. <laughs> you are not a socialist, and you actually have a record to prove that you're not. But what the president does, he says you are, he says it twice as often and twice as loud. How do you combat that lie when he keeps pushing it and some voters start to believe it? Well, um, I'm not sure anybody that hadn't already made up their mind there for Trump believes, but who knows? But, but that's, you know, he's sort of like Goebbels. You say the lie long enough, keep repeating, 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 it becomes common knowledge. Yeah, we get it. That's, that's what Joe Biden's got. Nazi, that's what Trump is. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. They got his taxes, everybody. Almost certainly through illegal means, because taxes are protected documents. But New York Times, big story on Sunday. Oh, look at Trump's taxes. We went through them. We talked to sources with knowledge of them. Yada, yada, yada. And the big takeaways are supposed to be that Trump in one year paid $750 total in income taxes, that he did big write-offs for losses over many, many years, and uh, that he has some large liabilities, financial liabilities, but also has a lot of assets and a lot of income streams. And they just went, they just went deep diving into his finances. And their takeaway from this, of course, is that it's, an enormous bombshell, huge story. Oh, my gosh. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Brad Stouter over at CNN is like, it's like super important. Play three. Obviously, this has the potential to change the race. How explosive is this? Americans are already voting in some states, and most Americans' minds are already made up. But, Anna, this is one of the most important stories of the past five years. Not one of the most important stories of this year, but one of the most important stories of the past five years. Because as a candidate, Donald Trump fought hard to shield his tax returns. And as president, he has fought even harder to shield his tax returns from public scrutiny. So this is the kind of information that we are going to be hearing about for days and weeks to come and including on the debate stage in front of 60 70 80 million people on tuesday night two things that democrats just really don't understand about the right and republicans right now number one is that what they did to kavanaugh was like injecting political steroids into millions of conservatives i've said that before it's important and that's why they they're a little bit caught off guard here with the whole Amy Coney Barrett thing. Uh, we want this done. There's no moderation. There's no uh, let's let's sit down with the other side and have a nice, long, sweet talk about this thing. No, we have the votes. Let's get it done. No ifs, ands, or buts. No slowdowns. No games. And the other thing that the Democrats don't really understand about the right is that we're at a point and have been for a while where we just laugh at their bombshell walls closing in on Trump stories. I mean, they're hilarious, dumb and worthless. And this was supposed to be their big thing for years, for years. You have had journos acting like this was the holy grail of of investigative reporting. If they could just find the Trump tax returns. Well, I'm glad that The New York Times finally released this big story on Trump's taxes so we can all confirm there's nothing there. And journos who've been talking for years about walls closing in on Trump because of his taxes are total morons. Glad we've established this. I'm glad we have an understanding that this is what's actually going on. Um, 
Now what are they going to say? Because here's the problem. There's nothing illegal in there. There's no, and the New York Times actually says we didn't find any covert connection to Russia and the tax returns. I mean, as if any intelligent person would believe that that was going to happen. Remember, the federal government has had these tax returns all along. And they're already auditing the president because of some of the very large deductions he's taken, which is understand. Look, if you take very large deductions, that's going to get flagged and the IRS is going to dig into that. And that's understandable. But there's nothing here. There is nothing here. And so uh, other than, you, know, yeah, the president has had very large income streams and very large losses in different businesses and has taken these these write offs uh, that, that you're allowed to do as a business owner, as somebody that's that's involved in on the corporate side, the ownership side of corporate America. And so that has offset his taxes a lot. I mean, almost entirely in, in, in many years. But this is legal. And a lot of us look at this and say, I pay the abs. I'm going to tell you this right now. I pay the absolute bare minimum taxes that I can legally get away with where I don't feel like I'd be in a position where if somebody called me out on something, I would say, I would say, uh, oh, you got me. I'd say, no, this is why I took this deduction. It was a good faith deduction. Right. And I, I take the absolute. I'm always looking. I talk to I've got an accountant. Oh, he just retired. But I've got an accountant and, I, you know, I, I try to go through things with him and, and I want to take the max because the government takes too much money for me and I don't make a lot of money. I'm not like some of these other radio hosts that have, uh, you know, lots and lots of houses and stuff like that. I don't have a house. Yet. Well, I own one house, but um, it, it's not something that I think anybody should be ashamed of, should feel sheepish about. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You take the deductions you can. And you work within the tax code that is mandated for you. You know, if, if I had the option to just pay a flat tax every year, 15 percent, I would do that. But I don't. But I don't. So they're trying to make this into a big story. And part of that is just now wild speculation about how, you see, there's nothing in there that makes anybody worried about uh, Trump or his taxes. But it's what they're saying now is that it's what's not in the tax returns that's so damning. We need more investigation of Trump's finances. And this is the liberals being dishonest loons because Trump wasn't withholding his tax returns to hide Russia ties. And now they want to move on to the next conspiracy uh, of the resistance, the hashtag resistance. Here's uh, Yamiche Alcindor, I think is a PBS correspondent, you know, battles with Trump in the press conferences. And, And she's taken this. This is now one of the new conspiracies you'll hear. That the only reason Trump is running is because if he doesn't win, he's going to go to prison over his taxes. Play four. I think that the line in this New York Times story that really underscores what this all means, mm-hmm. um, apart from, of course, what you say is the the the, the evading and the possible um, breaking of laws. They said ultimately President Trump might be better and more successful playing a media mogul than actually being one. That sentence stopped me dead in my tracks because what it tells us is that he has sold this idea of himself as this businessman, as a successful person. There are critics of President Trump who have said for a long time that he was fighting so hard to be reelected, not only because he wants to be reelected, but also because he's worried that if he's not reelected, he could actually face jail time and be carried off um, like a lot of his personal associates, including his personal lawyer, the, his former campaign manager, and so on and so on. So I think this story is a bombshell and it's a blockbuster. 
It's not a bombshell or a blockbuster unless you're somebody who thinks that all the other stories about Trump that have come out from the media in recent years, including all the Russia collusion uh, hoax bombshells, really had some impact and people paid attention to who, who weren't already Trump haters. And I think it's interesting that they note here that that it is noted in this discussion that we'll look at some of the other people around the president. They've ended up going off to prison. Right. Because they worked with the president and because they came under tremendous scrutiny from the federal government. And yes, they were, you know, in the case of Michael Cohen, scummy people. But they only went after them because of their association with Trump. So if they could get Trump, don't you think they would have already? If they had something on him, don't you think we would have heard about it? I've been telling you for years that what you'll find is a president, uh, you know, has taken big deductions and might not have as much liquid liquid wealth as you know he said i think he said he's worth nine billion dollars or something like that i mean i that depends on how you value his brand i i can tell you this much if he just did a fire sale of everything i don't think the president would have nine billion dollars but he'd probably have a, a billion or two and guess what he's got a lot more experience and knowledge of the of the business world of economics and of how to make things work than joe biden does Somehow, you know, he's the ultimately you look at the results. He's the president. And a lot of these other people that are sitting around talking about how he's so bad at business. He's the president and he flies around in a jet that he owns to incredible properties that he owns and is world famous and has a brand that's allowed his children and his children's children to be very, very wealthy and well known. But we're all going to pretend like what? He's a big loser. Is that is that what the story is now? He's not really good. He's not good at business. He's not good at these things. Is he also not good at politics because he came in and roundhouse kicked the Democrat establishment in the face and knocked it out? So is it? Well, what really is the case? He's not cheating on his taxes. He's not good at business. No, it's just all these different variations of why Trump is so bad. It's this is just orange man bad. The taxes chapter the same thing. It was boring. I read the whole piece, the New York Times piece yesterday when it came out, and I was looking for something that was going to really go, oh, that, that doesn't look good. All right. So some of the businesses lose money. Some of them make money. The tax code is written so that people are willing to take risks and build things that then employ people and that pay Social Security and Medicare taxes and all that. You know, we're just talking about income tax to Trump personally. There's a lot of taxations going on. There's taxes on every hamburger sold in the Trump Hotel. Trust me, I know they're expensive. There's a lot going on here. But all they want to do is tear them down. And so they're they're convinced before they even see the taxes that the walls are closing in and this is the end for Trump. No, it's not. It's really pathetic. It's unsettling how crazy these people are. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. $750. That hurts. That does resonate. So, and it's also, you know, four years ago, we talked about being able to avoid paying taxes legally, avoid, you know, dealing with the tax laws, being so brilliant that right. you could figure out how to pay, you know, a lower tax rate. But this is not just avoiding what 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 is being seen in this reporting is avoiding, evading 
perhaps robbing and cheating. We'll see. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, look I, good. Again, it's one thing. Amazon, so, Amazon pays zero in taxes. That's a real problem. We have to reform our tax code. Sure. It's broken. And yet every time we try to reform the tax code, the libs go, no, 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 no. We don't we don't want to make it all easy and one page and very straightforward because the rich libs want to keep all their deductions and their but they want to pretend like they think that paying taxes is patriotic, but they don't want to pay. They want you to pay taxes. That's the whole game. That's that's the the entire con, as you see it here, perhaps robbing and cheating. Mika Brzezinski says, Um, no. That would then mean that he's given to the IRS the means to actually go after him criminally, uh, which is not what's happening here. Anyone who looks at this and any expert worthy of the of the of the term who sees what's in this. Remember, this is not even it's not like they published the tax returns. This is the New York Times. And the president says that they're all full of crap. I mean, he might be a little bit. Um, he might be, you know. A little excessive in saying they're totally full of crap. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they probably have someone who leaked the tax returns to him. Okay, I don't think they're completely making this up wholesale. Uh, but he's saying it's it's garbage. We can't know how much of it is garbage, but there's nothing in here that's a problem. It, it's also uh, boring. Right? It's also who cares? What are the, what do they want? In in what world? Let, let's take this. Uh, take a different approach to this. What would have to be in those tax returns? for them to not attack Donald Trump on his tax runs. Well, let's take an example. Uh, Mitt Romney, the Democrats, as you know, Harry Reid famously said on the floor of the Senate, so he could not be in any way uh, legally liable for this. He said Mitt Romney hadn't paid taxes in 10 years. That was a lie. Mitt Romney had paid a lot of taxes. I mean, say what you will about the guy, and I've said a lot. He is rich, and he did make a lot of money. Uh, but Mitt Romney was paying taxes. That was a comp- and, and then later on, when Harry Reid was asked about this, his response was, well, he didn't win, did he? It's just a slime smear. That's all it was. Character assassination. And that was Mitt Romney, who I think is a very by the book, by the letter kind of guy. I mean, he's sort of a grown up hall monitor type. And and he even found himself attacked on taxes. You know, John Kerry in 2004, paid something like 11 percent or some just pitiful tax rate on unearned income, on effectively passive income of, of the assets that his wife owns. His wife married a very wealthy man and then John Kerry married her. So, you know, he paid very, very low taxes. So when he's you know taking the million dollar yacht to the multimillion dollar house in the vineyards, leaving the multimillion dollar mansion on Beacon Hill in Boston, I mean. Not paying a lot of taxes. I think John Kerry also even moved his boat anchorage so that he could pay less taxes. I mean, one thing you'll find is that even very wealthy people, people that have no no realistic concern about ever running out of money or not being able to live a very fancy lifestyle, even very wealthy people can be very cheap. I've seen this a lot. In fact, some of the richest people that I know are fixated on money, but Maybe that's a conversation for another time. I, I just think that this this story on the Trump taxes, it's boring and nobody cares. And they can try to pretend that everybody cares, but ultimately it's boring and nobody really cares. Except for the journos who have been chomping at the bit for years on this thing. And all along I've been saying, guys, the IRS already has it. You, you who listen to the show know I've ne- I was never, never worried about Trump's taxes and what it would mean for him, because I'm like the IRS 
already has it. They already have the taxes. So what are we even talking about here? What, he's going to have a handwritten note from Putin? Oh, it's very good that Trump is giving me all the things I need for uh, stealing election. One million dollar Trump wrote a check. No, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't think the president had some note. Dear, dear Trump, is Vlad, I love you. Big smoochy smoochy, here are a billion dollars. I don't think that that's a thing. Although maybe we should make it a thing. It'd be kind of a fun sketch. But, but, but Trumpy, I miss you. Come back for snuggles with Vlad, right? Like, that wasn't going to exist. That wasn't going to be a thing that actually happened, but they believed for some reason, or they convinced themselves that it, that it was going to happen. It's really pretty stunning. Um, by the way, speaking of rich people who don't care about other people but pretend to, Pelosi, who is really my favorite example of that, uh, is saying that na- now she is hoping for another another COVID stimulus bill. Oh, so you mean she wants to demagogue the issue for the weeks leading up to the election because the Republicans wanted money to go out to people who are unemployed because of government policy. Pelosi's not okay with that. Not enough money, she says. She's going to get you more. So just keep waiting. Watch your bank account get drained down. Watch your business get closer and closer to forever closure. And But Nancy wants you to know that she's going to do something for you Probably after the election, though, right? Because this isn't political. No, Nancy's never doing that. Play eight. I'm sorry. Play uh, nine. I have been willing to come below three point four trillion dollars. We have come all the way down. So I don't know why the press decides that this equivalent for me to come down further while they're not going up any further. So we are having our conversations uh, when I have a conversation uh, with the administration. It is in good faith. I trust uh, Secretary Mnuchin to uh, represent uh, something that can reach a solution. And I believe we can come to an agreement. Uh, however, at some point, uh, the public is going to have to see why 2.2 or now 2.4, perhaps, trillion dollars is necessary because the, because the president's uh, denial of the virus and just resistance to doing anything to crush it has made uh, matters worse in so many ways. The president's denial of the virus and resistance to do anything to crush it. it these, they'll say anything, folks. They'll say anything. It's just delusional nonsense. But orange man bad. As long as orange man bad, whatever they say is fine. Like angry little children. Orange man bad. Uh, Nancy here just just blathering on. You know, the Nancy Pelosi school of negotiation is like there's there's, you know, there's 10 trillion that we want. And you're saying that that's too high. So, okay, let's make it nine trillion. Right. I mean, no, wait, hold on. You're asking for too much money. If you're outrageous with the demands, it doesn't matter if you come down a little bit from your outrageous demand, right? If I, if I showed up, if, you're, if your house is worth that, let's say your house is worth $250,000, and I show up and I say, all right, I'm making an offer on your house. I'm going to offer you $50,000. And you say, no, Buck, that's absurd. And I say, okay, 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 $75,000 I offer you for your house. I mean, you'd probably want to throw something at me and you'd be right to, right? But then if I was like, well, but I'm coming up, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making you, you know, that's what Nancy's doing here with the COVID stimulus thing. And people are suffering, but she doesn't care. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Senator Ted Cruz is in the house from the great state of Texas. You all know him very well. He's got a new book out, One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. Senator Cruz, great to have you on. Thanks so much. Buck, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right. We've got a huge Supreme Court vacancy to be filled atop a very contentious election. What is it that you see? I mean, you've obviously written this book about the one seat here and how it can make such a difference. What what's some of the, the backstory, the history that people should know about why the elevation of ACB would be so momentous? Well, the Supreme Court really is is the arbiter and at the crossroads of, of all our constitutional liberties. Uh, the book that I have out that is coming out this week is just released, um, focuses on uh, our constitutional rights. And each chapter in the book focuses on a different constitutional liberty. But before I was in the Senate, I was a Supreme Court litigator. So that's what I did for a living is argue cases in front of the Supreme Court. And, and so there's one chapter on free speech. There's one chapter on religious liberty. There's one chapter on the Second Amendment. Uh, there's one chapter on U.S. sovereignty. Uh, there's one chapter on elections and democracy. And it goes into Bush versus Gore, which I was part of the legal team representing George W. Bush. And, and it was obviously a contested election, which we could see a reprise of it this year with this election. And, and what I do in the book is, is every chapter tells really the inside story, the backstory behind landmark cases at the court, behind the biggest cases of the court, many of which I helped litigate. And, and so it, 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 it takes you behind to understand, okay, what are the issues the court have, has in front of them? Why does it matter to me? Who are the justices? It tells a lot of inside stories about the justices, about the litigants. Uh, and it's designed so that you don't have to be a lawyer to understand or appreciate the, the book. It, it, it's designed to help you uh, understand how on free speech or religious liberty or all these issues that, that, that the landmark cases are almost all 5-4, that, that we have four justices ready to take away our fundamental liberties and one vacancy can make an enormous difference, positive or negative. Is Amy Coney Barrett the best possible choice to fill the open Supreme Court seat now in your estimation? I think she's a very strong choice. Uh, you, you look at her record, um, she, she has impeccable credentials. Uh, she graduated number one in her class from Notre Dame Law School. She was a law clerk uh, to Justice Antonin Scalia, the great Justice Scalia. She spent 20 years as a law professor at Notre Dame. She is now one of the most respected federal appellate judges in the country. Uh, and, and I think the president in making this nomination was following through on his, his promise to the American people to nominate constitutionalists and to nominate judges in the mold of Scalia or Thomas. And, and I think the Senate we will confirm Judge Barrett, I believe, and we will do so before Election Day. I'm leading the fight in the Senate to make that happen. And I think when we do so, we will be delivering on our promise to confirm strong, principled constitutionalists who will defend the Bill of Rights. We're speaking to Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. His new book comes out this week, One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. Senator Cruz, is there a mechanism, a procedural trick, anything that concerns you that your Democrat colleagues in the Senate uh, may try to pull at this stage? Is, is there anything we need to be aware of? Because 
the shrill hysterics around the alleged illegitimacy of this uh, of this nomination seem to seem to show us that they'll just say things that are flatly untrue. So people are worried about whether they're willing to do things that are flatly unprincipled. Yeah, look, I, I think that's right. I think even before this vacancy, the Democrats and the hard left, they were losing their minds. Uh, they hate President Trump with with an all-consuming rage. And and once this vacancy occurred, to, to, to quote the movie Spinal Tap, suddenly it went to 11. I mean, I mean they are beside themselves. Uh, we will begin hearings on, on Judge Barrett uh, on October 12th. And, and, and I fully expect Democrats to light their hair on fire, to do everything they can to turn it into a, a, a circus, um, likely every bit as disgracefully as they did with Justice Kavanaugh, where they went after him personally, they smeared him, they slimed his family. Um, I, I think they, if they can, they will try to do the same thing to Judge Barrett. We saw some of this when, when she was nominated to the Court of Appeals, where, where they attacked her and demonized her because of her faith. She's a, a Catholic. And, and uh, Senator Feinstein put it this way uh, about Judge Barrett. She said, the dogma lives loudly in this one. And, and the position of a lot of Democrats seem to be that if you're a person of faith, if you're Catholic, if you're evangelical, that, that, that you cannot serve as a judge and you can't serve in any public office. Now, of course, the Constitution prohibits a religious test for any public office, but, but today's Democrats um, ha have a real deep antipathy and animosity for people of faith. That being said, I think they will try every antic they, they can, including Pelosi is threatening, possibly trying to impeach the president again. And if Democrats all stand together in the House, they could vote out articles of impeachment again. Even if they do that, it's not going to prevent this confirmation. If they engage in such a wildly partisan stunt, uh, I'm confident we have the votes in, in the Senate to, to disregard their, their, their partisan antics and to deliver on our constitutional responsibility to confirm this justice. How concerned are you, Senator, about uh, the possibility of either a Biden administration, heaven forbid from my perspective, but it could happen, or whomever the next Democrat president may be, and there will be one at some point, we know that much, uh, packing the court. This gets a lot of discussion now because Democrats are openly threatening to do that. Is that a realistic threat from your perspective? Uh, unfortunately, I think it is. Um, today's Democratic Party has really been radicalized, where there were a lot of positions that even a few years ago they would never have embraced. Um, a few years ago, most Democrats said they weren't socialists. Now, just about all of them agree with Bernie Sanders and AOC, and that's who's sending their agenda. Uh, even a few months ago, most Democrats would have laughed at the prospect of abolishing or defunding the police. Now, that is the mainstream position of today's Democratic Party. And when it comes to packing the court, so, so a Democratic president has tried that before. FDR tried that. Uh, and even though he had massive Democratic majorities in both houses of Congress, his own party resisted him. His own party said, no, we're not going to politicize the court. What's changed, unfortunately, is, is I don't think the Democrats would resist a Joe Biden. Certainly a Chuck Schumer or a Nancy Pelosi is not going to resist a Joe Biden. When it comes to packing the court, they've threatened to take the court from nine justices to, to 11 to 13. Who knows how many 
they would they would put up there. And it really it underscores the stakes of this election that that it is critically important that President Trump be reelected. I'm fighting hard for him to be reelected. It's critically important that we maintain a Republican majority in the Senate and that we retake the House uh, because if, God forbid, we wake up in January and it is Biden, Schumer, Pelosi, I think they'll do more damage in two years than Barack Obama did Nate. And would the filibuster also be one of those casualties in, in your in your opinion, based upon that scenario you just gave us? Uh, I, I do believe it would. I, I think every Democrat would end the filibuster, which means if they have a narrow Senate majority, the filibuster, which is the, the, the most potent tool to stop uh, to, to, to stop whoever has the Senate majority from just running over the minority, I, I believe the Democrats would, would eliminate the filibuster. Um, and, and I don't think there's any dissension on their party. I, I think they would act early on to try to cement their majority. So one of the things I think they would do also is expand the United States and add two new states, add the District of Columbia and add Puerto Rico. And the reason they would do that is Democrats believe those two places would elect four new Democratic senators. So if we started January of 2021 with 50 Democrats and the vice president, we could end 2021 with 54 Democratic senators. And I think they will they will try to institutionalize their power because right now the zealots, the extreme is who's driving driving the Democratic Party. One Vote Away, How a Single Supreme Court Seat Can Change History is the book out this week from Senator Ted Cruz. Senator, always good to see you, sir. Thank you for uh, dropping by and talking to us. Buck, thank you for having us. Let me encourage folks to go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to OneVoteAway.com. You can order the book right now. It'll help you understand what's happening at the court and how our fundamental liberties are all hanging by a single vote. And and so please, please go buy the book. I think you'll enjoy it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. It's totally fake news. Made up fake. We went through the same stories. You could have asked me the same questions four years ago. I had to litigate this and talk about it. Uh, totally fake news. Now, actually, I paid tax. but And you'll see that as soon as my tax returns. I, it, it's underwater. They've been underwater for a long time. The IRS does not treat me well. They treat me like the Tea Party, like they treated the Tea Party. And they don't treat me well. They treat me very badly. Uh, you have people that in the IRS, very, they treat me very, very badly. The IRS should be changed dramatically. I remember I asked Ted Cruz when he was running for president uh, in 2016. Uh, I asked him, I said, sir, would you really... Uh, Senator, would you really get rid of the IRS if you could? He said, well, we'd, we'd pare it down because it becomes very easy when the enforcement mechanism, the enforcement mechanism has to be much smaller if you have a one-page tax code. Why can't the tax code be one page? Why is it, if you add all these opinions and these different aspects of it, you know, they estimate the tax code's over 70,000 pages with regulations and all these other things. That's, that's insane. But the reason it's so big is because people want to use the tax, want to use tax policy as a means of coercing certain behaviors, punishing certain behaviors, encouraging other behaviors. It's social engineering plus social justice, redistributing wealth, uh, advocating for certain things. And uh, then also, of course, giving all kinds of carve outs to special interests, big business and to high earners, all, all those things together. 
That's why the tax code is so large. I mean, the actual physical tax code, if you were to print it out, is is so absolutely enormous. So, I, look, I, I think everybody should just understand that as long as that continues to be the case, we're going to have distortions. There's going to be unfairness. And, I mean, the IRS shouldn't be terrifying for people to deal with, and it is. You ask people in Europe, by the way, what it's like when they have to they have to handle the tax authorities. The tax authorities are annoying. It's like dealing with the DMV. Okay, you know, it's annoying and they're on. But, you know, the worst thing they're going to do is they're going to take more of your money. In America, we lock people up over this. We actually uh, we actually, you know, put people in prison based on what the tax authority says. And it doesn't have to be that way anyway. I'm going to get get into a little more of the the Fauci situation and where we are with all this uh, in in just a bit, because I'm still furious about it all. But there was one moment that gave me a a little bit of encouragement here where someone uh, someone went up to NYPD officers who were standing. uh, I believe they're outside. It's kind of tough to see in the video, but standing outside and they're they're. Masks are down, right? So they're down around their neck. They're not on. They're talking to each other. And this guy just walks up and is trying to do the mask shaming thing to these two cops. And of course, this is you're seeing the collision here of two different Democrat, really almost religious beliefs. Now, one, cops are bad. And two, wearing a mask makes you a good person. This is now a Democrat thing. They believe those two things. And I say these these NYPD officers, these are beat cops. They're just doing their best to do their jobs, go home at night, you know, providing a very necessary service for the city, for the people of New York. And here's how the exchange went. Play two. If I don't wear a mask in the subway. What? This is the final part just me or to you guys if I don't wear right. a mask? Okay. I'm just curious, like... Well, you know, Actually, it like states that as long as you can maintain six feet distance, you don't have to wear the mask. Well, you if you want to step within six feet of me, I'll gladly put on the mask. Okay. So would you like to do that? I mean, I feel like you guys are living less than six feet of each other. You're though. the one that approached us, so would you but want I'm to keep the distance? I'm six feet away, though. Sir. Okay, now we're six feet away. And you I got nothing better than that. I mean, you got, I mean, you should probably wear a mask during a global pandemic. You're the person that calls someone, you know what I mean? Like someone's selling water bottle on the streets. You're the person that calls them. That's what you are. All right, Carrie, like male version of Carrie. Have a nice day. Really, sir? Hold on, what's your name? Yeah, you know that. I'm ready to say. Have a nice day, man. Thank you, you too. Take care, Carrie. Thank you for your service, sir. Thank you for protecting us during a pandemic. What a little punk. A little punk. Guy's a jerk. These officers handled him exactly the right way. Why are you going up to these two two cops? You know, if if they're sitting together in a squad car all day, uh, guess what, idiot? There's no social distancing that they can do. And and to, to call them out, they're, they're six feet apart. But you see, this is the this is the irrational part of this. Now, people have been brainwashed. They all believe this crap now. And I, I can't tell you, I just saw a friend of mine over the weekend. Uh, he's a buddy of mine, former Navy SEAL. And we're talking about this. We're both walking around the street outside. No mask on. And people look at us kind of strangely. They look at me, look at him. And we're looking around. We're like, we're outdoors. And no one's within six feet of us. And even if they were, the real rule is even if you're within six feet of somebody, it takes 15 minutes of continuous exposure indoors for there to be real risk of transmission of the disease. So why? Because he said he's had people outside tell him put put on a mask when he's outdoors. Friends, that's what's coming next. 
because it, the disease, this isn't stopping the spread of the disease. Okay, that's not actually whether it's because people don't wear their masks enough indoors or I, I don't know, what, but it's not it's not stopping it. You look at all the data, all the different charts. This is fantasy land stuff. Can it work? Maybe. But with perfect usage in all circumstances, with all people, with all, you know, but it's not it's not having the intended effect. Um, but now they're going to extend it to. You have to wear it outside and they're, they're Biden is saying he's going to institute a national mask mandate right away. Think about that. Now you're going to have little idiots coming up to you outside, wherever you are, anywhere across the country and saying, where's your mask? So if you're in a state that's had like 200 people die of covid all year and it's very few cases, you're going to have a national mask mandate. When is the mask mandate mandate go away? And I'm going to ask you this. Why? Why is the mask mandate not going to be in place? Think this one through during every flu season. Oh, well, you know, the, the actual data on masking during flu season is that it really doesn't do anything. But they, they ignore that now. They ignore that now, of course. Uh, friends, we we do not do enough to push back on the tyranny. And we're all living with it now. I live with it. People complain about me in my in the building where I live, the apartment building, because I'm not you know wearing a mask constantly. I wear it in the gym. I wear it indoors when I have to. But if I want to walk out my building, I don't think I should have to wear a mask when I'm not standing near anybody and I'm not in I'm not actually in, in the lobby for more than 10 seconds. Wear a mask, they say. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We got Dinesh D'Souza back in the house. He is best-selling author guy on tv conservative commentator you know you guys all know dinesh but he's got two not one two movies out right now we're going to talk about that plus all the latest stuff happening in this crazy election cycle and with this open supreme court seat and the rest of it dinesh great to have you hey it's a pleasure great to be on the show so infidel which i know stars jim caviezel who i think has done some great work in the past infidel is out now you're the producer on this one you you made this movie uh, tell us about the film a little bit and also what it's like to move from doing more political docudrama kind of stuff into a straight up feature film. Well, the feature film has always been the gold standard of Hollywood. And um, Hollywood thinks that in that department, they are supreme. They are invincible. Um, and of course, they use the feature film Hollywood does to promote all kinds of ideological messages. So the villains of their movies are typically the business guy or the patriarchal dad or the sheriff or the small town pastor who turns out to be a secret member of the KKK. They've got these cartoon narratives. Uh, they never confront the real world. They never confront radical Islam. And so if they do a terrorist in a Hollywood movie, he's typically some Russian guy or he's Eastern European. So I wanted to challenge them in their own domain. And so my wife, Debbie, and I came up with this idea for a movie about religious persecution that would take a Christian guy, an American, uh, who says something politically incorrect at an international conference on religion about Jesus, about God. It's gotten tremendous ratings on Rotten Tomatoes with the audience. I'm not surprised. But it's 60% with the critics. And these are left-wing critics. So it's got to tell you that they are a little surprised that we've made a really good movie, a mainstream movie. This is not a Christian niche movie. It's got a lot of bad language in it. It's got extreme violence. It's R-rated. The idea here is to make a mainstream movie that reflects the gritty realism of the culture. 
You know, Dinesh, this has been a dream of people on the right in, in news media and commentary for a long time. We often talk about this. I've been trying to say to everybody, and this is why I'm, I'm working with different friends on social media platforms that will actually respect the First Amendment and becoming a part of them and work, you know, and, and but we've always, as you said, wanted to challenge Hollywood and its, its domain here because it is absurd. I mean, you pointed out and I mean, I used to work at the CIA, so I know who the, what the actual bad guys are usually like, and they're not weirdly German accented guys in the mid 2000s with bleach blonde hair who are running around about how they're going to take over the world, which is what they did in the movie The Sum of All Fears, for example. Right. They change it from radical Islam in the Tom Clancy novel to some form of, you know, new neo new neo Nazis or some some different version of that. Do you have a lot of conservatives that are saying, hey, Dinesh, and I don't just mean people in the media, I mean, just out there. Can I help? Can I get involved? I want to work on this. I want to give you money. I mean, are people flocking to your standard here a little bit? It's hard to do, I have to admit. And it's partly because, you know, if um, if Michael Moore makes a film or even Oliver Stone, they go to a Hollywood studio, they get 10 million or 20 million dollars in their pocket. They go make the film. And the moment they made the film, they're booked on The View, The Today Show, and on and on, all the media outlets are open to them. For our side, you have to have a whole bunch of different skills that really don't go together. You need the legal skill to put it together. You need to have tremendous fundraising capacity. I mean, we raised almost $20 million to make this movie. You need to have the skill to make the movie and do it in a mainstream way, and then you have to be able to market it. So all those things put, are not easy to put together. We think we've got a small team that has the full package, but we'll see. We're testing it out and admittedly doing it in a very difficult environment. But our film has been doing really well. And on a per screen basis, it is the second highest film in the country right now. And uh, Dinesh, is, is the goal here, and, and I really applaud this effort because I've been wanting to do this for a long time and been saying that, and, and to your point, it's, yes, there are these movies that are, you know, some of them are very nice, but it's, you know, someone who like stumbles, hits their head on a rock and they found God and it's rated G. And those are fine. I'm, I'm not putting But that's that's not going to have the same widespread cultural impact outside of, as you said, a niche audience as a film like this that deals with the actual threat of radical Islam and what it means to confront it. So it doesn't have to be conservative films in the sense of uh, that that family friendly fare that can be a, a little bit not dealing in, with with other parts of the world that we have to. Um, so is the goal here for you, if this continues to work, would you want to do this again, expand this out and, and tell stories that will tackle these contemporary, you know, contemporary mindset, but from a, a traditional and conservative perspective of just morality, good guys, bad guys and history? Yeah, for me, uh, the really great conservative movies not don't wear the label conservative. They're movies like Braveheart and Chariots of Fire and The Deer Hunter. Now, those are movies from a different era. So we have to make movies that are in our current era. You have to sort of surf on the wave, if you will. So my goal and, and my wife Debbie's is to create a virtual studio where we can do one of these movies a year. But in order to do that, we have to create a sort of financial model that is viable. We have to make sure that there is an audience for these movies and that our types of people would like to go to these types of movies that are not, I mean, Jim Caviezel was on Shannon Bream a couple of days ago. He goes, well, this is no candy-ass Christian movie. And he's right. She was a little shocked, but I think what he was trying to say is that this is a movie that is immersed in the culture. You're going to make a movie about terrorism and radical Islam. It's got to talk and feel and sound like what that world is really like. Speaking of Dinesh D'Souza, uh, author, 
filmmaker, among many other things. Uh, Dinesh, you've also got the Trump card out, which no, no uh, explanation needed as to why that's timely. But how is how is that doing? And do you feel like it's having the intended impact as we're in really right now the this last major effort of the Trump campaign? Well, Trump card is new and that is going to be available on all platforms October 9th. Uh, I decided not to release that in the theater. Some theaters are still closed. I didn't want it to be where people in some parts of the country couldn't see the movie. Uh, and so we're releasing it on, on all the on Apple iTunes, on Google Play, on Dish, um, on Amazon Prime. Uh, so everyone will be able to see it. And it's I think it's the best of my movies. It's emotionally very powerful. It couldn't be more timely. Uh, it's based on my book, United States of Socialism. So socialism is the threat. I think, uh, you know, we, we look at all this radicalism of the left, burning things, uh, harassing people in restaurants, the deep state machinations. Those are the means. But what is the goal? The goal is United States of Socialism. And I think Trump is the leader of the fight against it. And I decided to call the movie Trump card for the simple reason that the whole election debate, the whole political debate, not just in America, but worldwide, revolves around this one man, Donald Trump. What are you thinking for this election, Dinesh? How are we looking? It's really hard for me to see how a ridiculous cardboard figure like Biden could make it across the finish line. I recognize there are very powerful forces that want to drag him uh, over the finish line. Uh, and the Democrats have a big army of ventriloquists and puppeteers who put out his tweets and fill up his teleprompter um, and literally are trying to carry him across. Uh, but how the Democrats ended up with this preposterous candidate, you know, is a mystery. Um, Trump, I think, is uh, Trump doesn't have the economy that he had before COVID. But I think he has the argument that he's the only one who knows how to bring it back. Um, and I'm looking for a big Trump win in November. Dinesh D'Souza, everybody, go check out Infidel in theaters near you if you can. That's out right now. And also you have the Trump card coming out. You can download and watch that one. Dinesh, where's the best place to go to watch the Trump card? Just go to trumpcardthemovie.com and you'll it'll list all the platforms. You can pre-order the DVD. It's really going to be everywhere October 9th, so there'll be almost a month to watch it before the election. Infidel is now in almost 2,000 theaters, and you can just go to infidel911.com and plug in your zip code. It'll tell you where it's playing, and you can buy a ticket right there. And Dinesh, Braveheart is my all-time favorite movie, so if you decide to make a sequel at D'Souza Studios, you let me know. I want to help, all right? For sure. Thanks so much, Dinesh. Good to see you. Good to see you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What you make of Florida's decision to ease those restrictions, opening up bars and restaurants. Well, that is very concerning to me. I mean, I have, we have always said that, myself and Dr. Deborah Burks, who's the coordinator of the task force, that that is something we really need to be careful about. Because when you're dealing with community spread and you have the kind of congregate setting where people get together, particularly without masks, you're really asking for trouble. Now's the time, actually, to double down a bit. And I don't don't mean close. When I say that, people get concerned that we're talking about shutting down. We're not talking about shutting anything down. We're talking about common sense type of public health measures that we've been talking about all along. No, that's actually not what you're talking about. Fauci is way outside his lane on all this stuff, folks. We, are, we already know what he thinks. We have the guidance. Now it's us to us, the American people, and through our legislative bodies to execute on what the guidance is and to look at the numbers and the data and come up with intelligent responses to it.
Because he'll say, oh, I'm not saying shut down. Okay, okay, jackass, uh, explain this to me. How can you have bars and restaurants not shut down when if you're going to have masks even mandated indoors, everyone's dropping the mask to eat and drink, you idiot. So what are your options? Shut down or let people go. That's it. There's no third option. But there's this make-believe of, oh, but maybe we'll wear the masks when we go to the bathroom or we'll go to the mask when they sit us down at our table. But then we'll sit there with the mask down for two hours while we eat, breathing, laughing, talking. They're trying to regulate human behavior in ways they simply can't do. It's not going to work. But you know what their big fear is here? They tell us, they tell us um, that (sighs) this is reckless. Imagine what happens at Florida, which is now open without restriction, without restriction. New York hasn't even opened restaurants for indoor dining yet, folks. It's almost October. Florida said, all right, businesses go to it. What if they're okay? You have to remember, they don't want anyone to be able to definitively test and prove their theories wrong. That's a huge risk. It's a risk to their professional reputations, to their power, to their prestige. The people have been pushing for this stuff. They'll do anything. I mean, they're letting you continue to suffer with these idiotic mandates, letting you continue to be miserable. If it means it protects their reputation, they're they're on board for that. That's no problem. That's an easy decision for them to make. Even when we see circumstances like this continue to play out, this is only going to get worse, friends. Uh, You have a guy in Maryland. Here you go. Man gets one year in jail for holding large parties against COVID-19 rules. They're locking this person up. Sean Myers, 42 years old, held two parties in a week at his home. 50 people. I'm going to say this right now. I threw parties when I was in college where there were at least, I don't know, 200, 300 people that showed up. Oh, yeah. Papa Buck knew how to get down. But 50 people is not a big party. You know, that's uh, that's like a standard house party in New York City in, in our small apartments. That's not that big. So officers found 50 people at his home. They told him his party violated rules. Myers argued with officers, eventually agreed to disband the party, prosecutors said. Days later, officers came back to his home. Another party with 50 people there. Uh... He was argumentative with them. Myers told his guests to stay in defiance of Governor Hogan's orders. And officers tried to reason with Myers. He was then arrested. Uh, He faces up to a year in prison. He will be on supervised probation for three years, prosecutors say. Uh, I mean, folks, this is absurd. This is what I mean by, I mean, you know, you have a right, a right to peaceably assemble. They've taken this away from you. Now, BLM can do whatever the heck it wants, right? BLM can gather thousands. While the pandemic is raging, they can gather together anywhere they want. And police are there to protect them, protect their First Amendment rights. But you want to have over a couple of dozen people to your house? You'll get arrested. This is tyranny. I I have to keep saying this is unacceptable. They do not have the right to do this. They do not have the science to back this up. This is nuts. I mean, notice how you've, you've heard a little bit less about, oh, my gosh, colleges, all the spikes at colleges. You know why? People at college get this disease and they're fine. 
Same way the people at college, college age, get the flu. I got the flu when I was in college. Got, I felt like I got hit by a truck, but I was fine after about a week. This is what happened. This is life. But all the media hysteria, oh my gosh, they're opening schools, they're opening. Yeah, they've opened schools. It's fine. Europe has had schools open K, K through uh, eighth grade for going on months now. They're fine. It depends on the European country you have to look at. But overall, the schools are open there. So what are we doing with this continued madness? Well, I'm telling you right now, it's, it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse if Biden takes over. They're going to institute even more severe COVID regulations. National mask mandate. Think about a Democrat party that's just won an election and that has scores to settle. And that has a health excuse in its mind, a health excuse to shut down any business it wants, any activity it wants at any time. No questions asked. You think the Democrat Party, you think that the Biden administration isn't going to abuse that? Well, I mean, if anyone who believes that just isn't paying attention, doesn't understand who or what we are really dealing with here. They are absolutely going to abuse that authority. And they're going to make people beg for their freedom back. And even then, once once we've been begging for our freedom back, let's understand that it's not going to be enough. We're going to have to do what they want. They're going to use this for policy purposes. They're going to have to use this to get us uh, to, to get through things that they want. And only then, after about a year of it, will they think about relenting. And they're going to keep this in their back pocket. Health emergency. You see the health emergency over COVID-19. They're going to declare that climate change is a health emergency. We got a bad hurricane. Oh, it's a threat to life and limb. There's a there's a climate change emergency. They see too many uh, shootings happen or if there's a, a let's say a really bad school shooting. Oh, it's a health emergency. Got to seize your assault rifles. Got to seize them. You know that they're going to do this. I mean, this is what's coming our way. And I think this should be a much bigger issue for people in this election. They're going to ruin the economy and they're going to do so thinking that they're heroes and that they're brave because, remember, the, the Democrats that are rich are fine and they can work remotely and they're not worried about this at all. The bureaucrats and the government employees, they're fine. They keep their jobs. The taxpayers still keep them afloat. And the dependent class will, in a new Democrat administration, I'm sure, just start getting you know $600 a week or whatever it is, and they've got their universal basic income. So, you know, you have what people are calling, a, I think they call it a K-shaped recovery now, where some people are doing just fine out of the out of the pandemic and other people are getting in worse and worse shape, getting further behind on bills. That's what's going to be exacerbated in a Democrat administration, for sure. The Democrat elites will be just fine. They'll be great. No worries. And they'll walk around wearing a mask. They'll be bicycle riding by themselves in the woods wearing a mask, you know out in the middle of the ocean on a boat, a rowboat, no one around for miles wearing a mask like idiots. This is what they're going to be doing. And uh, the country is going to suffer and small businesses in particular, which are always Democrats view small business owners as as a little bit defiant to the order of the state. They'd much rather have corporations because corporations are more within the collectivist ethos of the Democrat Party. They can be controlled from the top down much more easily. But small businesses are getting crushed right now and Democrats don't care. They don't care. And Fauci, uh, you know, in a just world, he would have been fired months ago. But political liability, I suppose, is too much right now. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Roll Call. Let's get to it. Brad, first up in the Roll Call mix. Hey, Buck and Producer Mark. I was wondering if you noticed what the mainstream media has done with regard to African-Americans. A year ago, we as a country were in a place where they were referred to as African-Americans. That was the acceptable term. A few days before George Floyd's death, Joe Biden said the infamous line, "If if you can't choose me over Trump, you ain't black. From that moment forward, the media immediately dropped the term African-American and went with black as if they wanted to normalize the term and dilute just how racist his statement really was. I feel that statement in the mainstream media's response to how Biden has been a giant step backward for our African-American community. Shields high. Um, Brad, I'll be honest with you, I haven't noticed that at all. I I think that people use African-American and black pretty interchangeably. Um, I haven't seen a change in that regard. So I'd say uh, take another look at this one and, and give a little more thought to whether you know, sometimes we perceive a connection without understanding all of the corollaries to it and think it's a stronger connection than it is. Um, I, I'm not saying you're wrong, I, I, but I don't see it. I don't see it. But I do appreciate you writing in. And uh, I watch language issues very closely here. Obviously, the change from um, undocumented uh, from illegal alien to undocumented immigrant to undocumented just that's the word now we use undocumented so that the language changes are very important not something we should ignore uh and yeah i also i do think that there's a long-standing practice where people think that african-american is is more respectful to say perhaps or or at least can have a a more formal more more perhaps more than a respectful connotation for members of the black community but i mean if we're going to refer to white people all the time i, I think you know, we don't sit around saying Caucasian American or anything like that. I, I think we can say black and we can say white. Uh, and people do use the term uh, brown now. Very wi- That's very widespread on the left. People say black and brown communities. I, I'm I think it's interesting. I think that there was a time when when referring to someone as from a brown community would have been considered a little bit. uh, uh Borderline, um, but now it's used wide. But then again, you also have a per. Uh, Communities of color or person of color is fine and is often said, and I mean on the left and in the news media, but a, 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 a well, you can say it with the of in the middle, but if you flip it around and just do the possessive version of it, a, or sorry, an adjective version of it, right? The, instead of a person of color, just a, that's not allowed. That's not, that's considered rude. Um, by the way, producer Mark, how was your weekend? We didn't get to check in on producer Mark. How you doing, buddy? It was good. Solid weekend. How about yours? Just re- yeah, it was nice. Relaxed. Played a little tennis. Moved around a little bit. Went to the gym. So I should do that. Feels good afterwards. Helps you sleep at night. I gotta say. Took the dog for some nice walks. Amazing how much nicer people are to the dog than to me. They all see the dog and they smile and they want to pet the dog and look up at me. They're like, yeah. Where's your mask? You know, I'm always like, whoa, maybe the dog's so nice because I'm so nice. Maybe people should think of it that way. 
I mean, I think whether you were wearing a mask or not, I would always react more favorably to a dog than a person. A lot of people, a lot of people do, especially because she has this one tooth that sticks out very prominently and makes her look sort of, I don't know, more bulldog like. So people people get excited about that. But yeah, no, it was a pretty, pretty mellow weekend. So all right, any big sports stuff this week? We got to be. Is there a football tonight? Yeah, there's a very good game on tonight. Chiefs and Ravens, probably the two best teams in the league. There you go. As long as they don't kneel beforehand, maybe some folks will watch. Jimmy! Buck, I think Sleepy Joe is sleeping during the day and waking up around 7 or 8 at night in preparation for the debate. By sleeping all day and waking up at night, they're trying to have him feel like it is only 9 a.m. and not 9 p.m., so he'll be awake for the debate. They've probably replaced all the windows in his basement with TV screens, so they can have the moon and stars appear to Joe during the day and have bright sunshine, clouds, and birds chirping at night. Tell producer Mark, go Mets. Uh, well, go Mets. There you go. You heard that. Yeah, I, I heard. Huh. Yeah. And as for um, Sleepy Joe, yeah, he's not really doing much of a campaign. It's pretty obvious at this point. Not a lot of, not a lot of interest in Sleepy Joe telling people uh, what, he's, what his plans are for America the fu- for the future. It's just make him president because they say so, because the libs demand it. So we'll see. We'll see. Jake writes, Buck, I love your show and listen daily. You are killing me with your commentary on the Breonna Taylor death. Serving warrants in the middle of the night is immoral. No-knock warrants are immoral. Both of, the, both of those things will continue until cops are held personally responsible for the damage they cause in serving those warrants with regard to the reckless endangerment charges i also disagree with you every round a person fires has their name on it until the projectile stops that fact doesn't change based on the shooter's line of work well jake let's understand something that the the rounds that the cops fired at in the brianna taylor situation the cop who has been charged was charged for rounds that went through a wall went to the next apartment not for hitting brianna taylor so what exactly is, you know, the, the rounds went through the wall. I, I don't know. I mean, now you're saying if the cops fire and they miss, they're going to go to prison. I mean, that's that's quite a high standard to have. Um, you know, and they were under fire, too. It's not like they just pulled their guns for no reason and were shooting and, and being uh, irresponsible with it. As for no knock warrants. OK, but I mean, Jake, you should ask some friends in law enforcement, some people, you know, who work in law enforcement. What happens when you are, let's say, with the U.S. Marshal Service and you're going to serve a high risk warrant on somebody who's a, you know, convicted felon who uh, may have weapons and drugs inside? You say, okay, everybody, one, they'll probably uh, try to destroy, especially the drug evidence that they have, flush it down the toilet, any number of things. And two, uh, they may say, okay, cops at the door and they start, you know, loading up their pump action shotgun they start loading up that glock or whatever their handgun of choice would be and and set up for the cops to come through that door that's happened there are cops who know that they've been shot especially serving high-risk warrants because they gave notice to the felon inside and so i'm just it's not as easy as just that it's immoral and it's bad um there the element of surprise is very helpful in these things now they should be reserved for high risk situations. They should be reserved for somebody with a history of, of either violence or high level drug trafficking or something. I agree with that. But to get rid of them entirely, 
I don't know. Maybe some of our uh, Team Buck law enforcement can weigh in here. What do you guys, what is, uh, we have so many fantastic uh, police officers, law enforcement across the country that listen to the show. What do you think? Do you guys and gals want to get rid of uh, no-knock warrants? I Look, I've never served a warrant, so I just know about this in an academic and an analyst sense. Um, but uh, to me, it seems, and uh, the other thing about serving in the middle of the night is that usually somebody's, yes, you're disturbing their sleep, but they're less likely to, you know, to react in a hostile, go-for-a-gun manner if they know that they're cops, at least, because they're usually pretty groggy. I mean, if somebody came into my apartment at 3 o'clock in the morning knocking on the door, I'd be very out of it. Um, so I'm just putting out the different perspectives on this one. But if, if hey, if I hear from enough law enforcement folks that they think they're not necessary and they're a bad idea, I am, I am always open to persuasion, friends. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Next up, we've got Dean. Hello, Buck. Love the show. Listen every day at the gym. I totally understand it's highly unlikely that the uh, the Durham probe will result in convictions. However, why doesn't Barr pull a page out of their playbook and make the process the punishment? Bankrupt these fools and pull their names through the pull their names through the mud like they do to all their victims. It's time that he gets dirty and plays dirty. What are your thoughts, Dean? That's just not who this attorney general is. He's gonna he's gonna play it by the book. Now he's not gonna get bullied, right? If if it's if by the book you're in trouble, I think with this AG, you're in trouble. But he's not gonna he's not gonna play games with the law even. Even if it would be political justice, it has to be uh, justice under our legal system. It can't be uh, something that we, we like. We, we're not going to play the game the way the libs do. And this attorney general is not going to do that. As for the Durham probe, yeah, folks, you guys know. I mean, one of the reasons I think a lot of you listen to this show, and I appreciate that, and you've told me this before, is on, on so many of these questions, I just see it coming, and I'm right. And I've been right on the Durham probe all along. I've been saying, guys, don't expect there to be... And this just reminds me of what I used to say about Benghazi. Once Trump won re-election, I'm sorry, once Obama won re-election on Benghazi, I was like, well, any chance for justice on Benghazi is pretty much gone now. So you got Trey Gowdy out there holding the, you know, holding all those hearings. Mr. Speaker, uh, you know, making a lot of noise. But what exactly did Trey Gowdy do other than recently defend Comey and the FBI against all facts and evidence? I, that guy and I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little, uh. I got a bone to pick with Trey. I'm not happy about that. But, you know, they had all these hearings, all this Benghazi stuff. And I just said, and people didn't want to hear it. They're, oh, no, we're going to get, you know, Hillary. They're going to get it. Nope. Nope. They will not. They will not. Because I understand how the system works. I understand how the bureaucracy, where the bureaucracy is strong. And it's particularly strong when it comes to protecting the bureaucracy. So if somebody is a an integral part of it, has connections enough inside of it, they'll close ranks and they'll they'll protect that person. They do it all the time. You know, they'll they'll feed you some low level nobodies to make a political point, but they're not going to let you get after any of the big people. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think the Durham probe is going to be I, I don't think it's going to be much of anything. And, and we already with those text messages that came out. Thanks to Sidney Powell in the uh, case with Michael Flynn, because of the text message, we already, we already know. We already know the FBI was running a scam. We already know that what they were doing was illegitimate and they were aware it was illegitimate and the whole thing was appalling. So, yeah, there we go. 
Pablo. Hey, Buck. Shields high. When RBG passed away on Friday, I was torn about Trump filling the seat. I thought that he could use this as a campaign promise like he did in 2016. After thinking about how the Democrats have pulled out all the stops for the past four years, I can't see taking any chances with this seat. As a conservative, I like to fight fair, but if this is not reciprocated, you have to get dirty, too. P.S. I'm not watching any sports because I choose not to because of the stance they're all taking against the country. I, however, do not think that everyone should join my my boycott. You do you, Producer Mark. Producer Mark, Pablo gives you permission to do you. I appreciate that, Pablo. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, as for the RBG seat, I I think that we just get this thing done, signed, sealed, and delivered. I think delay is the enemy here. I think get it done right away. Um, but I'm also seeing there's a a real silence from the left here. But remember, that, that was the truth with Kavanaugh as well. Kavanaugh was going to sail through. It was going to be fine. And then at the last minute in the hearings is when they introduced the whole, uh, oh gosh, what was her, I can't remember her name now. Pretty smart. What was the name of the first woman who came out? Uh, you know, the, I can't remember her name. I, I can't believe I'm blanking on her. Anyway, I remember the, uh, the other, the other names in the case. And the, so the woman who came out and accused, producer Nick, what was, the woman who came out and accused Kavanaugh of, um, Christine Blasey Ford. Thank you, Christine Blasey Ford. So, yeah, she she came out and that was late in that process. And it was meant to throw it into disarray at the last minutes. Then people would get shaky. So just because right now it seems like there's this pathetic stuff is all they've got about, oh, you know, adoptions. All of a sudden, adoption is not a good thing. These people are maniacs, folks. They're maniacs. But that doesn't mean that that will be enough to stop this. So just remember that. Saul, I have a question for America. Why haven't we heard anything about COVID-19 numbers rising after all these massive Trump rallies, if there was any increase, the libs would be screaming about that. Maybe COVID isn't what it seems to be. Also, I wanted to say I'm a big fan of your show. Found out from an ad while listening to Rush. Been telling my friends about it. Shields high. Thank you, Saul. That's great. And we love uh, that people listen to Rush's show are getting a little a uh, little bit of buck action here. Well, there's, uh, that's, that makes me very happy. Please pass the bucks. I'll tell tell friends about it. And uh, this is the. This is the next the next generation of great talk radio here. Uh, Brian writes, Bruce or Mark, you're my favorite. Do, do we think Brian's buttering you up, Mark? Just a little bit. But I have to tell you that cooking burgers is grilling and not barbecue. Buck, a friend of mine had a celebrity chef over to visit and he talked me through your reverse sear on the grill by first smoking the steak, then searing over wood or charcoal. You should try it sometime. Um. Brian, that sounds great. I, but don't I have to get a smoker to do that? Yeah, low and slow. Yeah. Yeah, I live in New York City. Man. We're not even allowed to have propane grills if you have outdoor space here. I'm not allowed to have that. Jay, Buck, some people say we need, to, we need the hearings to give the Dems a chance to show Americans just how disgusting they are. This weekend, we saw how evil they are with their attacks. There is no need at all to subject her to a full frontal assault. I'll go a step further. Putting her out there for the sole purpose of just being bait for leftist attacks for political means is evil. No hearings. Just vote. Love the show. Jay, thank you. We love you. And yes, I, I obviously am saying this to everybody who will listen. I think it is a mistake. A mistake 
to put her in this position. Um, and, and, you know, you never know what they're going to try to cook up. You never know. I, I think they're going to go with something about her being anti-gay uh, and about her being some kind of religious extremist to try to separate it from just being a, a, uh, a normal, being, being a standard, I should say, Catholic. That's where things going to happen. Uh, here we go. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that's what I see. They're gonna they're gonna go with though that she's anti anti gay, and I think that that the, the left will get very energized over that. I don't see what else there is. I mean, th- there are certain things. Look, they would usually say um, they would do the whole if it was a guy, he's a rapist and he's a racist. Those are the left's two favorite attacks against white male conservatives: rapist and racist. That's what they like to do. They'll lie about it. They don't care. The rapist thing, for obvious reasons, probably not going to work very well with Amy Coney Barrett. And the racist thing, given her two children from Haiti that she adopted, they'll say it. But I don't think that that's going to resonate because it's so dishonest. But we'll see, friends. We'll see. They they've got plans. We just don't know what they are yet. We got to stay in this fight until the very end. Shields high.